Children's worship, you can go ahead and head out. So uh, we've joined uh, this fall with other churches doing um, uh, this series called Explore God. Uh, We're going to continue that today, uh, and we're going to look at the question uh, today, is Christianity too narrow, right? And so uh, one of the things that I think uh, is is fascinating about that question is that, um, you know, that well, it makes people nervous when you talk about that, because if something's narrow, that must mean that something's exclusive. And if something's exclusive, that means somebody might get excluded. Uh, and if somebody might get excluded, then that makes us nervous. Right. And so uh, the, the, the and, and the thing about that is so we, we will uh, comfort ourselves and content ourselves with all sorts of things to help us kind of deal with that. Years ago, uh, I remember um, a young uh, undergraduate who worshiped here with us. She was here every week. She was bright, joyful, fun. Uh, and as, you know, m- most of you can attest, if you come here long enough, I will say something ultimately to offend. And so um, so that happened. And uh, she came to me and said, you know, I really love West End. It's been such a, a, a great thing to me. But I have to tell you that uh, what you said on Sunday really offended me. And um, I think you're just wrong. So kudos for boldness there. And um, I said, well, what is, what's the problem? She says, you seem to think that Jesus is the only way to God. And I said, well, I'm glad I was, you, you heard what I said. And um, she said, well, don't you know that all roads lead to God? And I said, let me guess. I bet a religious studies professor told you that. And she's like, as a matter of fact, you're right. And I said, well, will you do me a favor? Will you come back and talk with me and two Muslim friends and tell them that and see what they say? Well, they were even more animated about how terrible that was. And so I said, you know, my guess is that your professor, in an attempt to sound, uh, and I'm sure he is smart, uh, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is all roads, if all roads lead to God, my guess is you, the problem is not the roads, <laughs> but the God, <laughs> uh, because that, 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 I don't know how that could be, but anyone who believes anything ultimately about the nature of God uh, is going to believe some things that are exclusively true. Um, 
a few years ago, a very large denomination in our country uh, was in decline, is in decline. And they did a study, a long study, to figure out why they were in decline. And they came up with a lot of conclusions. The coffee wasn't that tasty, uh, poor parking lots, uh, buildings that didn't seem that warm and welcoming, all of those sorts of things. But one of the things that they concluded was that they had a theological issue that was contributing to their decline. And the theological issue that was contributing to their decline was the widespread teaching of the church and the belief of the church at large uh, that... uh, um, that there were no exclusive truth claims in Christianity and that, in fact, all roads lead to God. Well, it only makes sense. If all roads lead to God, let's leave right now because we can find him in a much more comfortable or scenic setting or comfortable setting than here, <laughs> right? So, So if the gospel... If the church is not the repository, in some sense, of the witness to the truth, then honestly, you know, um, why bother? Why bother? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at uh, uh, one text uh, at uh, the end of Jesus's life when he interacts with Pilate. And then we'll we'll look at a couple of other texts to kind of uh, unpack this and, and develop this. And, you know, I, I one of the things that I learned a long time ago uh, in uh, talking to people about what the scriptures tell us and, and, and that sort of thing is that the, the stuff that matters and this question matters and the reason why it matters is not so much that maybe you have some doubts or maybe you have uh, some uncertainty. Why this matters is because in some ways uh, the the uh, character of God is at stake because if God is good and God is gracious and God is love, then how is it possible that someone could find themselves outside of that? And particularly what makes this difficult is if that someone is someone I love. And so we might comfort ourselves in the midst of that as, well, this person I love seems not to track with Jesus or the gospel. And my hope, my heart's desire would be that it wouldn't matter and that they'll just be okay. I think that's part of what, uh, for many of us anyway, is what uh, drives uh, uh, our our thoughts about that. So um, we're going to talk about that this morning and um, uh, engage a little bit with what Jesus himself says uh, about the nature of the truth uh, and the nature of just how wide or how narrow his way is. So let me read to you John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. The text is printed in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Um, this is Jesus uh, in the trial uh, of his life, near the end of his life. He has been brought before Pilate, the Roman governor, and uh, who has the power of life and death over him, and who uh, uh, could uh, Jesus is called upon to defend himself uh, in this uh, courtroom proceeding. So John eighteen thirty three through 38, uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it. 
and respond to it as such this morning. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So the, so the thing that, the, the issue that we have here this morning, you, uh, Scott, you can go ahead and put my notes up there, is this question of, well, what is the truth? And, and the, the, the ringing uh, answer to that uh, in the gospel is not so much what is the truth. What we proclaim and what we believe is not so much a set of facts or a, a set of, of propositions while those things are there and they are true. The thing that we proclaim is a person who is the truth. You see, one of the things that's true of God is that when we say that, that God has righteousness or that, that God has love or that God has mercy, he actually embodies those things. The scripture actually says that God is love. Now, that's not all that he is, but it is not some sort of characteristic that's just outside of him. The fact of the matter is the God of the Bible, the God of the scriptures, the God of the gospel says this to us, that that he actually embodies the truth. And so when Pilate asked Jesus that question, the question there, the answer to that question is standing right in front of him, that Jesus Christ himself is the truth. And so, so one of the things that we, we have to understand about that is, is that, 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 that is, uh, the clear, unequivocal statement of the scriptures. Now, now some of us might hear that and we might think, well, you know what, I, I, and in this culture, in, in this day and age, uh, a lot, Jesus is pretty popular. People, people t- tend to think Jesus is a good guy. You know, if, if Jesus were around today, we would have, we'd have that memes of him with, you know, pugs, you know, kissing on dogs or, or, or doing nice things or, or, or being sweet or special and, 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 and that sort of stuff. And so we hear those things about Jesus and we think, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that Jesus. He, he looks like a kind guy. He looks like a fun guy. He looks like, he looks like he welcomes everybody. He, he stands for the, the weak and the poor. I like that Jesus. And, and what we do, and, and, and if that's all we see and that's all we hear, then what we do is what one of our founding fathers apparently did. He took the Bible, he took the Gospels. He's like, I like this part about Jesus. I'll leave that in there. This part I don't like, I'll take it out. Because Jesus said and did some radical things, really radical things, really exclusive things. So we have to kind of take, you know, we got, we have to, we have to, when we look at that, we have to, to have an accurate picture of what the truth is, of what Jesus is revealing to us. We have to, we have to be able to see that, right? So Jesus says here in this text that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now, uh, I know that I'm a middle-aged, bald, white guy in a sweater vest, <laughs> right? I get that. And so I know that some of the things that I'm uh, about to say here sounds like, well, that's what those old white guys in sweater vests say, right? Uh, but, but but stick with me this morning, okay? Just 
Just bear, bear with me, right? Because the fact is, if there is truth, if there's something or someone that is true, then it seems to me like there, that means that there are some things that are not true. If something's true, and we can say that that's true, then the opposite of that is something that's not true. It's, I, I think that, <laughs> right? Um, and so one of the things that we have to get at at that is that, is that whole issue, Right? So, so when we come at this, one of the things that, that we recognize about this is, then, then is, is Christianity and Jesus too narrow? Now, now the way that we kind of unpack this is, well, well, Jesus is true, but his truth is all about kindness, and his truth is all about tolerance, and his truth is all about accepting, uh, everybody else. And, and, and so, so, how can this be? I mean, what about that thought that all roads lead to God? Well, one thing's for sure about that, and one thing that I can say about that is our God and the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Gospel, is big enough. He's big enough. There's no doubt about that. And so it seems like, okay, that's a good thing for us, right? And, and it seems like that's warm, and it seems like that's accepting, and it seems like that's friendly, and it, and it actually, in, in, a, in a weird way, creates within us this kind of sense of, oh, yeah, the pressure's off. All roads lead to God. Ah, <sighs> okay, yeah, hmm, that's good. I, I can settle that thought and then go on about my business. But bear with me for a cheesy illustration here. Um. I'm going to have an inquirer's weekend in a few weeks, and um, someone who's new to the church, who's never been to my house, I live a mile from here. Many of you have been there. You know where I live. And someone who's going to come to our house for the dessert comes up to you and says, I want to go to Pastor Shelby's house. How do I get there? How do I get there? And you're very loving, warm. Affirming answer is, well, you just go out there. You know, you get there. <laughs> you just go. Yeah. If you drive around long enough, you'll find it. It's not that far. Just go. Uh, you know, it's over that way. Just go. It, you'll get there. Now, you know... That's really honoring and, uh, uh, <laughs> that's really honoring and, uh, upholding the worth and value of other roads. But, but it's, it's not helping this person get to where they need to go. And Pastor Shelby is serious about people being on time. And Pastor Shelby wants people to get there when the dessert is ready to eat so that we can eat the dessert because he's hungry, right? And so so to be loving and kind in this would be to say, you go out of the church, you take a right, you take the next right, and then you take the third left, and he's down about a quarter of a mile on the right, Yellow House, Green Shutters, 9528 Chatterley Drive. Because that's how you get there. That's how you get there. And so it's not kind, it's not warm, it's not loving, it's not even helpful to say, just go. You'll get there. You'll find it. 
right? So we hear this and we think, well, you know, all right. Yeah, okay, Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you to cut to the chase. You know, I have a self-righteous need this morning for you to declare to everyone that Jesus is the only way and there is no other way. And that settles it. And that way we can feel self-righteous and self, um, self-satisfied. Jesus said, after all, he's the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. That settles it. Let's go eat brunch. He did say that. Um, But one of the things that we have to get about this is the context in which he did say that and why he said it and to whom he said it and what was going on when he said that. In John 14, where this text is, we see Jesus sitting in the upper room, the Last Supper, with his disciples as they are preparing for him to go. And he is preparing them. He is alerting them. He is warning them that his time on earth is coming to an end, that it is just a matter of time till one of them uh, betrays him. It's just a matter of time. In fact, he just says at the end of chapter 13 that one of them is going to uh, deny him three times before the rooster crows in the morning and that they're in a real crisis. And there's this, this scene there. We've talked about this before, that the Last Supper, unlike our communion services that are quiet, typically quiet, Nothing's quiet around here, but you know, they're quieter, they're, they're a little more contemplative. They're having a fight about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus is talking about leaving, and everything's un, uh, up in the air, and who's going to deny him, and who's, who's going to betray him, and it is just this very troubling, disturbing time, and he's going to leave. And even the best of them thinks, wait a minute, I hitched my wagon to you, and you're going to leave? What is going on? Show me the way! Teach me how how to go where you go. And so the context, Jesus strides into that and he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be disturbed. Don't get knocked off track. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So so Jesus is speaking words of comfort, words of kindness, words of grace, words of reassurance to men who are suddenly feeling disoriented and unsure about where they're going. And and, And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this works, right? So Jesus makes it very clear here that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. But he is doing that in answer to the question of what's the way? How do we get there? How do we know? How, how can I be certain that, that, that I know God and that God knows me? How can I be certain that I can have this relationship with him? How can I be certain about that when there's so many nights when I put my head down on my pillow and I lay there and I think about my day and I think I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have thought about that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have lied about that. I shouldn't have cheated about that. How can I, how can I know? How can I get there? How can I be certain that there's a way to God when I look at myself and I see my weakness, my failings, my rebellion? I'm as disoriented and as unclear often as Thomas and as Philip and the rest of the crowd that's gathered around the table. Next slide. So the context here is Jesus is being very gracious, very loving, very caring, very merciful to his disciples when they ask the question to say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Now, the thing that you have to see about this, you know, there's no denying the fact that he doesn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life. He has those very definite articles in there. The the makes it pretty clear that he is claiming for himself that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. But the thing that you have to see about this way, the thing that you have to see about this truth, the thing that you have to see about this life is the nature of this way. What is this way? What's it like? Because what Jesus does is not only exclaim to us and not only provide for us the fact that he's the way, the truth, and the life, but more than that, he invites us to come and participate, to walk in that way, to come, right? We read in Isaiah 55, we, we sing this song often, right? Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you go the way that's not going to get you to where you want to go? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. You see, one of the things that we have to see about what Jesus is doing, he is the way, the truth, and the life, but he throws wide open his invitation for all to come. One of the images that the scripture repeats over and over and over and over again is that Jesus is the bridegroom, that his people are his, are his bride, and that the culmination of the universe, the culmination, the end point of all of this history is a giant wedding feast where all of his people gather with him and had this best party ever in the history of the universe. The best wine, the best food, the best bridegroom. 
The Bible ends, Revelation says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now, here's the thing that you have to see about the nature of this invitation and the nature of the way in which this works. The way the marriage feast is and the way you get there. Now, I am in the midst of planning a marriage feast. It has been said that if you want to stress your marriage, build a house together. Well, let me tell you about planning and paying for weddings. It's fascinating, just fascinating. Because you realize this is a great party and I love my kid and we want to have a great time and it costs a lot of money. A lot of money. Those, some of you dads out there are like, yeah, I recently heard someone who uh, had a wedding and they said that, you know, the, the money was flying out of their house so much that they didn't need to turn the fan on, that it was just fanning them on, on the way out the door, right? <laughs> yeah. Woo! You know, that sound you hear, that's the cash leaving, right? So I have this discussion about the wedding and, you know, I'm like, you know, I want to be generous. I want to be the great dad. You know, I want to be the cool dad. I want to be the dad that everybody likes, you know. And so we're having the budget discussion on Friday night and we're, we're talking about it, you know, and I'm like, you know, I've got my little calculator in my head going here. Well, this is going to cost this much and this is going to cost this much and this is going to cost this much and this is going to cost this much. And you're like, okay. All right, now let's get down to who we're going to invite. Because here's the problem, right? The bottom line, folks, is a wedding is a per-person cost. (laughs) Got to tell you, that's what it boils down to. What's it going to cost per head? And so you begin coming up with the list. And so you start with the list. And the, the beginning of the list is, all right, here's everybody who has to be there. They got to be there. We've got to invite them, right? They have to be there. Can't, cannot not invite those people. They have to be there. And then there's the next group of people. These people probably should be invited, right? Uh, and it would be a good thing that they should be invited. And then there's the next group of people that we should consider inviting them. And that's where it gets really dicey because those people in that third area out there think they're in circle number two or circle number one. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so... So what you realize about that is you're like, oh, how, how are we going to do this? Because this is going to cost so much, so much. So, so we're going to have to move some people even out of the second circle into the third circle and maybe the fourth circle. Well, and then 
you begin to think, well, if we invite Uncle Joe, maybe, maybe he'll buy us the $500 KitchenAid mixer. <laughs> and so then you start, you start those negotiations, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to, uh, my, my son is a youth director at a, at a gigantic church, giant youth group, hundreds of kids. And so the wedding's going to be one place, and the reception is going to be about an hour away to discourage uh, <laughs> travel there because 17-year-old boys can eat a lot of little Smokies, you know? <laughs> right? Right? And so because our resources are limited, the invitation's narrow. Jesus Christ has unlimited resources and grace and mercy. And he throws wide to you this morning the invitation to his party. And he writes that invitation with his own blood. He came to this earth with the mission to pay the price of admission for you. So that those times when you lay your head on the bed at night and you think, is it possible? Could, how can I know the way when I am so broken and lonely and sinful and hurting, what we can say is Jesus Christ throws wide open to you at the cost of his own life the invitation to his feast. And though he is the only way, he is a sufficient way. He is a strong way. He is a mighty way. He is a gracious way, a merciful way, and a certain way. Because when he makes the way for you, the way can never be closed. You see, when we hear that and we see that he is the way, the truth, and the life, we need to see that in the context of the wideness and the broadness and the strength of his mercy and grace and the cost of his own life that he, he is the way when we're lost. That he is the truth when we're confused. And he is the life because he gave his life for ours to make the way for us. And so while it may seem that him being the only way is narrow. Yes, it may be narrow. But that path is certain and it leads to the destination of this feast forevermore. And so what you and I need to hear and need to think about this morning and the question we need to answer is, will I entrust myself to that way? Will I entrust those I love to that way? Will I entrust uh, the world to that way to see to it that that is the wide, powerful, strong mercy of God that sees us to him forever 
and ever and ever. Let's pray and let's ask him to help us uh, to trust him this morning. Lord, we we confess to you that uh, these things are difficult for us. We confess to you that these things are challenging to us. And yet, Jesus, you are good and gracious and kind to tell your followers when they were troubled, to reassure them, to help them to know that they're not left alone to find their own way, but that you have clearly proclaimed and demonstrated and even paid the price to make that way. So help us today. Lord, I pray for those of us whose hearts are troubled, that we would hear your words not to be troubled, to believe in God and to believe in you and to entrust ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone to find the truth, but actually that the truth in a way finds us. And so I pray that that would give us comfort, that that would give us joy, that would enlighten and strengthen our hearts today. Lord, I pray today for those who are uncertain. uh, And I pray today for those who hear the invitation and wonder that the delight and the joy of that invitation and that feast would be so grand, so attractive, that we would find ourselves drawn We would find ourselves longing to be in that great marriage feast. Help us today. Help us to trust you. Help us to hear and see your great grace and mercy to us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.